Disclaimer, this podcast may contain strong language, maybe from us, maybe from the music. We'll surprise you. Thanks for listening. Today's a great day for a great day, so let's be great today. You're listening with Will and Jordan. Good to see you, Will. Good to be seen. Listeners, welcome to episode three. Welcome to Secure the Bag, the podcast dedicated to helping you secure your bag. Everything from reaching your optimal health and wellness achieving professional success, constructing relationship prosperity, and most importantly, acquiring generational affluence. We don't have all the answers right now, do we, Will? No, not at all. All right, we ain't got all the answers, but we're going to tackle all these issues and obstacles that we are going to come across in our everyday lives. And no matter what's in yours, we're here to help you secure your bag. All right, Will, what are we doing today? Man, I... I think we're gonna we're gonna have to bring up a legend, you know. Previously, you know, we we kind of dabbled in our generation of hip hop, but we gotta reach back a little bit, and we gotta you know go with the goat, right? How far back we going? Mm, I think we gotta go to about the '90s hip hop, late '90s, you know. And he, he's still relevant today, and you know, really, his name only consists of two letters, but it's spelled with five letters with a hyphen in it. A little it, hyphen. You know? A little hyphen action. Anybody got a hyphen in their name these days? I'm trying to add one to mine. I don't know where I'm going to put it. I want to put Joe hyphen or Dan. I like that. (laughs) You know, you have like a natural break in your name because it's like Mm -mm. two syllables. Nah. But I went before. Yep. Okay, Joe R. Dan. There you go. Respect um, my name. We'll, we'll work with that. But, you know, if y'all <laughs> haven't uh, put it together yet. You know, the legend we're, we're talking, talking about, about today, he's uh, he's got his a little more natural, more natural break. You know, we're talking about S. Doc Carter, Hova, Z, the greatest to ever do it. Jigga. That's right. I mean, the man went from being a corner boy to having $900 million net worth, not to mention his wife, who was phenomenal and brilliant and fierce, Beyonce. So together, that's a billion-dollar comp- couple right there. I almost said company, because he might as well be. They own Didn't everything. Did he have a billion by himself at some point? I think he did break that threshold. Um, shoot, you have $900 million, you might as well have a billion. <laughs> I mean, since when do we just... You know, negate a whole hundred million dollars. Do you have a hundred million dollars? When you got 900 other of them, I think you can. <laughs> this tax bill has to be crazy. It's got to be wild. I mean, think about it. He own, he's he been a part owner of an NBA team. He owns his own uh, agency now, his own talent agency, where he's got some of the best athletes in the world. His own Rock Nation, Rock Aware. Like, business-wise, this man is crazy. I love what he's doing right now with uh, with Puma basketball. That's a whole new echelon that he's entering into, and it's crazy what he's doing, what he's able to achieve and continue to achieve. Yeah, I think he, he's really, like, thinking on another level. Like, he went from being a part owner of a basketball team and then really thinking about it like he is paying the players and, you know, he's responsible for so many different things. But agents are just getting a cut of, you know, tons of different players. So it's like, what's the value proposition to have to, you know, negotiate and work with 31 other owners in the NBA and have to pay a salary on your team or to get a cut of a bunch of different players checks under Rock Nation Sports? I think uh, I think he definitely made the best decision. And his uh, yeah, like just having his name attached, 
to to that talent agency and to Puma Basketball now is is so much. Like his brand is so strong that that in and of itself is going to attract talent and and retain who, it and who grow that of talent. That, though? Like you know, <laughs> Michael Jordan, he's just like I'm gonna own a franchise. So he has the Charlotte Hornets now. You know. Michael Jordan is, you know, a different, you know, type of investor than Yeah, Jay-Z. absolutely, absolutely. But, you know, people's goals are usually like, I want to own a team. And he's just like, nah, I want to rake in money and make sure that, you know, I'm getting a cut instead of paying people. Exactly. And they have folks in baseball, football, basketball, soccer, boxing. You know, I thought I was going to get to say hockey here, but, you know, he hasn't gotten into hockey. Not yet, yet, not yet. I think that might be a little bit later, but... uh if anybody can do it, it's going to be Hove. And then, like, on top of all his business endeavors, he's he has incredible staying power just in hip-hop. Like, he's still coming out with music. You know, and my favorite thing about that, tour. my favorite thing about his ability to stay around and stay relevant is that his music, as he's grown and matured and become, you know, an older man, a father, a husband, his music has matured and grown with him. A lot of people, you know, they always rap about the same couple things. They talk about their money. They talk about, you know, being in the streets. They talk about whatever this, that, and the third. But Jay-Z's, uh, his portfolio spans everything. Everything from when he started out being a drug dealer to, you know, finding. Like, he's got everything. He's got club bangers. He's got ballads with his wife. He's got real-life stories of what he actually has done. And it's stuff that most people will never have the opportunity to say that they've accomplished, even thought about accomplishing. So today we're going to go ahead and start a three-part series off of one of the greatest songs by the greatest rapper of all time. The name of the song is The Story of OJ. If you haven't heard it, make sure you listen to it. Uh, We're going to give you the first part today. Uh, This three-part series is going to cover everything from uh, the importance of and the effects of race in America the importance of creating generational wealth. And we're also gonna start diving into the hows of investing. So today we're actually gonna go ahead and start off with the effects of race in America with the story of OJ. So before we play this song, Will, you wanna tell the people a little bit about why this is important, why they should care, um, and why we're starting the first part of our series with this topic? Yeah, it's it's really important to to acknowledge the elephant in the room. You know, we are two young black men that are are on a podcast. So a lot of the things that we speak about are gonna come from a different lens. Um, you know, some of our listeners will be able to relate, and others they may hear things for the first time, and that's okay because what we want to do is we want to spread information, we want to get different contexts, and you know race in america the history it just can't be separated like it's not a debatable fact that america was built on the back of slaves and that the race system has played a major part in everything from when slavery began through the civil rights era to even today where you know we have microaggressions being one of the the more descriptive words that we use for some of the the racism that you'll see in the workplace at school or you know even what you'll just have on tv you know it'll be little things like one of the tropes that i see more and more often is 
young black men getting killed by police for part of movie plots or TV mm-hmm. shows. Mm-hmm. Um, Widows comes to example as one example. I, I think Widows was a good movie, but when I saw that, you know, that was part of like the backstory of these people, I was just like, really? Isn't like, there another? Isn't I, there another storyline we can go with? Yeah, it's it's like I see it so much, and like it, I'm not desensitized to it. Like it 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 hurts every time I see it because, mm-hmm. you know, I I have not had the best, you know, interactions with police in my life. Right. In fact, I, I feel like the best like interactions I've ever had with police is you know, with your dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's Same like, here. He's like the saving grace for me. Exactly. But you know. Getting back to the point, like this episode's from the viewpoint perspective of two twenty something heteronormative upper middle class black men, and we just want to start conversations. The secure the bag community can carry outside of this forum, and you know if you don't fit into the demographic, love to hear your perspective. Um, one thing that I thought was interesting is I, I was speaking to to one of my friends, um, and he he's not black. And we were talking about Trayvon Martin. And it was a very touchy subject, and we were running. So we were doing a workout. Oh, wow. And, you know, he was just saying, like, he, he was really shocked at basically how the whole case went. But he was saying, like, if they follow the letter from the law, like, there was there was nowhere else for that case to go. And I was just like, I was confused. I was like, well, what do you mean? I immediately was just like, this has to be like a, a racial thing. And he was like, well, secure, the, secure your ground, you know, it's stated as this. And it's like, if you use that as an argument, it's just kind of like, you know, you, you kind of pigeonhole yourself into it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then when he, he's brought up some of the, um, how the police are getting away with some of these shootings and killings, He's like, if a police officer says that he was frightened and that he discharged his weapon, yeah. you know, they have certain laws that protect officers, you know, from a judgment standpoint, mm-hmm. um, from being from reacting with their weapon. It all comes it's back like, you know, to had, it all comes back to how racism evolves over time. Like, obviously, people look and, you know, if when you write the history books are written and you're going back, you're, you're seeing, all right, there's no more slavery that was abolished. There's no more Jim Crow um, in-your-face racism, but the type of racism that we're facing now is systemic. It's planned. It's like you said. It's fostered by the government. It's built into the laws, into the rules, and into societal norms. It's not as uh, in-your-face. It's not as explicit, but it's still there, and it continues to shift. And it's, racism is a shapeshifter. It's going to shift and evolve. And the conversations like this, this is how we can actually get the dialogue going. We can start to drive change with these conversations as opposed to in the past where I think a lot of people were very standoffish about talking about race. So part of what we're doing today is to give people a starting point to go out and have those conversations, to uncover other people's perspectives, share those perspectives, and hopefully move the whole movement forward time and time again. So before we go ahead and get into the song story of OJ, I just want to give an ode to Nina Simone, the priestess of soul. Uh, For those who don't know, she is one of the most accomplished 
uh, jazz musicians uh, of her time. She's been sampled time and time again by artists like Common, Kanye, The Game, Dr. Dre, Busta Rhymes, Lil Wayne, Talib Kweli, 50 Cent, and obviously the fact that I'm bringing her up, she's been sampled by Jay-Z uh, in this particular song, The Story of OJ. Uh, I mean, she's got a 40-album career, constantly celebrated as a singer, songwriter, and a musician. Uh, the way that she fused gospel, pop, classical music, and jazz to form her own unforgettable deeply soulful vibe like if you haven't heard Anita Simone go do it now she's got a Netflix documentary she's got some of the greatest music and when you start listening to her music you're going to start to realize how much of these songs that you actually know so the song that's sampled by Jay-Z in the story of OJ is called Four Women uh, and it's four stereotypical perspectives um, of black women so you'll hear first when you go through and listen to the whole song about Aunt Sarah uh, strong enough to take the pain of being a black woman. Then you'll hear of Sophronia, uh, a mixed race individual. Uh, her father was white, her mother was black, and she's kind of stuck in the middle of two words. And then you'll hear another stereotype, uh, Sweet Thing. Um, she's actually a prostitute who's universally accepted, but only for her sexual gratification, which we are going to do a whole nother topic of, uh, topic of Secure the Bag episode on that exact idea. Um, and then you finish up with Peaches, the embittered, um, she's embittered by the years of enslavement. So she fits into that all too often uh, believed stereotype of the angry black woman. Um, so let's go ahead. With that in mind, we'll hop into the story of OJ. So check out these lyrics and then we'll go ahead and break it down for you like we always do. definitely stretched his vocabulary and um <laughs> in those verses there uh, but you know let, let, let's dive right in you know he he's pretty much giving you so many different uses of the word nigga that we use like you got he says a lot without saying a lot he, he says he says so much without he says saying a whole a lot. lot like you have the whole colorism debate with light nigga dark nigga you know acting light skin um but then you have like Faux nigga, real nigga. It's like you either a real nigga or you're not. And, you know, ideally we're all real niggas and there's no, like, squares in your circle. But, you know, everything's not perfect. And you have rich nigga, poor nigga. And, you know, everybody's, you know, trying to secure the bag. We want to be in the category of the former and not the latter. But you got to come from somewhere. But then hit you with the last two, 
with house nigga field nigga. And you're kind of like, whoa, whoa, you whoa. Back. You know, you're talking about stuff that, you know, I can rap along with. I'm just like, like, nigga, dark, nigga, full, nigga, real, nigga, rich, nigga, poor, nigga. And then it goes, house, nigga, field, nigga. And I'm like, oh, okay, hold on. What what, what, what do you mean here? But then he, he, like, wraps it up and he's just like, still, nigga. And it's just like, ah, yeah, yeah. I guess so. It, like... It doesn't make a difference to someone from the outside looking in. We we have so many like different uses for the word, and we use it as a term of endearment. But you know, mm-hmm. you hear it from the wrong person, it's still nigga. Oh, and you're ready to fight. <laughs> and I was just like, oh. ready to, uh, yeah, mm. yeah. So I think you gotta you kind of have to start with the meaning and the history of the word. So, you know. Where it is today isn't how it was always used, but I don't think there's another word in the English language, American English, or any other language that is so directly rooted in hate. Like, I can't think of, like, there's so many other terms for other people, and even other terms for black people that are meant to be degrading and to put you down and break you down, but I can't think of anything out there that's you know quite as spiteful and hateful as uh has such a hateful history as the n-word like can you no it's you know and, and maybe our listeners can have some comparisons for us from different cultures um that we might not be mm-hmm. aware of but like this word was made to be derogatory and you know shout outs to our people for taking this word back and you know making this exactly. something that you know is, is used within the community just to you know show love and endearment for each other but this word does not have a good so history. will are you from the school of thought are you from the school of thought that you know i think everyone every most black people can agree that you know it's our word it's, a, it's and you're from the school of thought that it's okay for us to say it but no one else i am of that thought but I, I want to tell you a quick story. So, you know, I, I, okay. I coach at a high school. And this high school is majority Hispanic. Um, so I, I'm, I'm coaching, and at one point, the team is entirely Hispanic. And, you know, that's cool. You know, I'm working out with the kids. You know, they'll speak in Spanish. I don't speak Spanish, but it's cool. They give me, like, the rundown of what they're talking about. So I'm just like, okay, that's cool. You know, make sure y'all aren't, you know, basically doing anything extra when I when I'm over here working with y'all but then I'm drilling with some of the kids and then I just keep hearing the n-word and you know I'm I'm very like accustomed to like tuning it out because it's not something that stands out to me but it's like I stopped and I looked around the room and I'm the only black person in the room so I'm just like why do I keep hearing the n-word and right. then, like, I realized that they're saying it. I'm just like, whoa. And I tell them, I'm like, hey, you got to chill with it. And they were like, Coach Will, man, you know how it is. You know, we can use it, but they can't. And then I was like, we? Not quite. Hey. <laughs> but, you know, this is a high school. And it's like, you know, I'm not going to get into this this conversation too deep with, you know, mm-hmm. 16, mm-hmm. 17, 18-year-olds. But I was just like, you know, whatever you all do amongst each other, you know, that's absolutely your business, but when you're here working out with me, I need you to chill on it. 
Like it, it, it was not yes. time for a history lesson for them. It wasn't time for me to chastise them because you know it's something that they're going to do anyway. But mm-hmm. you know, it's it's. I think I think you just hit it on the head. Like you can't you can't control what anyone says, regardless of their color, where they're from, what their experiences are. You cannot control what someone says. It's part of language, and like people have the right. Not the, ah, people can say whatever they want. But you have to deal with the consequences. I think, you know, as far as black people saying the N-word, I think it's very important that we, before you make a decision, if you're going to be someone who uses it in your everyday life, if you rap along with it in music, as a black person, you need to understand the root of the word. You need to educate yourself on what the word means, um, the history behind it, how it was created. Um, and I think that's goes back to the point where you said that, uh, you know, our people took the word back like a word is a word is a word like if you take away the n-word there's gonna be another word created so by taking that word back and making it you know a term of endearment something that is part of our culture as long as there's understanding that goes into that decision i'm all for it 100 percent. but then this it's interesting that you know other you know minority groups will adopt the same word as a term of endearment. Because, you know, they, they, well, they were well, saying it. Well, it's funny you say that way. because, yes, but it's also been used against them in a negative way. Like, I know that a negative derogatory term towards Arabs is a sand N-word. Or, for Jewish people, a white N-word. You know, like, it's used for other people because the word is so hateful that you literally just take whatever other word and you combine the two together and it's still a derogatory term for anyone because the word ha- the word has so much history and so much hate. Yeah, it's 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 definitely a word only to be used when you're positive you are not in mixed or potentially like offensive company. Yes. Yes. Like rapping along in your car. Very true. Cool. Rapping in the car with your mama, we're gonna put that in the gray area. Rapping in the car yeah. with your boss, don't do it. <laughs> right, right. Everything, especially this this specific topic, uh, context is key. So moving on, uh, you know, we talked about the meaning and the history, who should say it, when they should say it. Um, let's get a little bit into the lyrical analysis of this song, like. We touched on it briefly with, you know, with the N-word, but I think the meaning behind the lyrics, it says so much. Like I said before, he is saying so much without saying really, without using a lot of words. So what I took away the first time I listened to this, I, was, I had to take a step back. I literally rewound that, rewound that part three times. And I was like, holy shit, like that is heavy. Like basically, Jay is saying, no matter how much money, how much success, fame, fortune, accolades, no matter what your accomplishments are, if you're black in America, you're black in America. And there's nothing you can do to escape uh, the systemic built-up barriers that are built to you know, contain black excellence. So what, what, what you're saying is uh, being black has no boundaries? Yes, yes, like no matter, like I said, rich, poor, you know, light skin, dark skin, it doesn't matter. Like, you, he finishes it. Still nigga. 
Like no matter what it is that you do, you're still gonna have to be aware of of the fact that the world is not designed for you to succeed. Even if you gain success, you have to protect that success every day. And that's not just for black people. That's true for all people. You get the, you get to a level of success, you have to protect it. You have to work hard to keep it. But it is even more true because for us as black people, we we have obstacles that are built up to keep us from a certain level of success. Now, why did he call this song the story of OJ? So right before we cut and before we got into... Uh, back to the conversation, you heard him say, I'm not black, I'm OJ. Okay. And when he said, okay, I just kind of pictured him sitting there like hands up, like confused, you know, like what the hell? You're not black. You're OJ. OJ, you're a black man. What do you mean? And, uh, this kind of goes back to, you know, a little history lesson for you. Again, we're diving back a lot in this episode because there's so much history to unpack here. Um, but when OJ was going through, um, actually, I think this was before he actually had the, the murder case. It was during the civil rights movement. He, um, he kind of just didn't want to pick a side. Like he didn't want to come out and take a stand with black people because he, he did realize what that would mean for him. He wasn't the Muhammad Ali of his generation. He was OJ Simpson. He, he came up, he was, a legendary football player at USC, great NFL player, had a movie star uh, career as well. And he didn't want to jeopardize all that to stand with his people. Something similar comes to mind is, you know, when Tiger Woods was on top of the world, he was accepted by all people. Oh, Tiger Woods is multiracial. He's black. He's white. He's got uh, this, that, and the third descendant in him. Uh, but as soon as he messed up, you know, Tiger Woods, he's black. He messed up. like, And I think that's the whole point of what Jay-Z was saying when he said, I'm not black, I'm OJ. It's, it's funny that you bring up Tiger Woods because Tiger Woods' fall from grace, that, um, <laughs> for those of you that don't know that steep. story, <laughs> it is absolutely wild. Like between his the the phone messages that they were able to obtain from people, like so many people just turned on Tiger. Not not to defend Tiger in any type of way because, you know, he he had a wife and he had kids, or has kids. No more wife. Um, but <laughs> you know, he 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 was on a whole nother wavelength. Like he he, oh, yeah. he was living his best life in a whole different way. Like he for a long single. time, you talk about staying power. He was <laughs> he was number one in the world for a long time, in a sport where there were not people like him that ever had been number one in the world, and not for that long, for sure. So I think that's a great segue into moving into like navigating majority spaces. Like golf is a majority space that Tiger Woods was able to navigate. So it's, you know, what... now, well, explain, can you, uh, for those who don't know, can you break down what it is to what you mean by what majority spaces? So a majority space, for those of you that, that may be new to the term, is essentially an, an area that is not, you know, really a, a reasonable percentage or an acceptable percentage of diversity. 
So it's either, if you're a woman, it could be a space that's dominated by men. Like men-dominated fields is probably the, the long term they use for it. But in the terms of, you know, for a black man like myself and Jordan, it'll be a space that's majority white, whether it's female or whether it's male. Because when we walk to a room, people are going to be like, oh, okay, somebody here is different. But then at the mm -hmm. same time, you know, if there's two of you in the room, they're going to get your names mixed up. <laughs> uh, it's happened to us plenty of times. Whether you look Actually like ended up in grades getting mixed up, crazy enough. Yeah, and, you know, understanding, like, how to pick those battles is not something I was equipped for. Um, I, I, was, I was ready to be combative very quickly, but uh, Jordan, thankfully, had, had run this circus one time too many and there was a hand on my shoulder letting me know that that this wasn't it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and like that's it's something that no matter how you're different in your majority space, whether you are black, white, male, female, Christian, Muslim, uh whether it's uh sexual orientation, there's going to be things that happen where you have to make a decision. Do you want to take the energy to educate or is this one of those times where you're in a situation where the person isn't even worth it? The person in the situation is going to continue to be the same way that the person or the situation is. And that's a really, really tough dichotomy to try and maneuver. Because if everyone in the civil rights era or any era where there was drastic change, if they all took the approach of, hey, it's not worth my energy to educate to try and make this change, then we wouldn't be where we are right now. We wouldn't be in a position where Will and I can sit and talk about this, uh, about have this conversation and then have all the listeners listening to this conversation. Um, but it is important to be able to pick your battles. And uh, Will, how, like, what have you learned since being in majority spaces a little bit more about how to navigate them? Well, the first thing that I learned is, you know, having a community. Um, that That's that's something that was just very important to me. Like I went to a majority black high school. I went to a HBCU. So when I was first in a majority space, you know, it, it was immediate like, okay, who looks like me? But then it got even deeper. It's like, okay, some people look like me, but we don't have anything in common. So it's like, instead of, you know, look like me, but you don't act like me. Yeah. So in, instead of just being in a space where I just look for people that I have something in common with at a HBCU, um, you know, this is somewhere where, you know, I was looking for people who I could relate to both to have things in common with regardless of race. Then also people that, you know, were my race could understand some things that I would be dealing with, but also have some things in common with. So that being said, you mm -hmm. know, while in grad school, had had friends across the board, um, really good friends and really ambition was well, ambition and a love for like working out and fitness and staying active were kind of the, the, the crux of majority of the friendships um, that I think we were both able to form in grad school. But being mm -hmm. able to sit down and, you know, talk about some microaggressions or, you know, be the hand on someone's shoulder when you can see the steam coming from their ears because they're just so frustrated over something that either just happened or was happening in the moment, you know, that, that was invaluable. Not saying that, you know, someone couldn't be of another race and be an ally but 
you know, I, to keep it real. I was actually you. gonna bring that up. I was gonna bring up the the topic of allies. Like you, uh, I think when we were at, in grad school down at Wake Forest, that was the first time where you, I'm sure you knew what the term ally meant, but you actually experienced it for the first time. Um, and people who are allies are people who don't necessarily fit into a definitive demographic um, that is like they might be part of the majority in a majority space but their mindset is to a learn how to make that majority space more accepting and more inclusive for all people and they also you know they don't try and make the whole movement about them because there are some people who call themselves allies but they try and overpower the situation they try to overpower and put themselves at the forefront of the movement where you kind of have to take a step back which is tough for a lot of people that want to do good um and help to bring change you have to let that movement happen like i am a i'm i consider myself a feminist but i can't go to a feminist march or rally and get up there and tell women what their experience is, what it is not. Same thing for the LGBTQ um, you know, community. Like, I align myself with them, but I am not a part of their group. So therefore, I'm an ally in those two situations. I can't be the person who's the spokesperson going out and saying, this is right, this is wrong. I have to accept the feedback. And I think when we were at Wake Forest, that was the first time for both of us, really, where we had those allies and we were comfortable enough to have those conversations where we were the educator and we were fortunate enough to have a lot of great allies that were he there to listen, learn, and help drive the conversation forward from their, from the correct position. Yeah, they're, they're, they're not there uh, being an ally using the N-word, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Of course. Of course. Yeah, so I know we just talked about a lot. Um, Appreciate all the listeners for going through that deep dive conversation. Um, honestly, to me, that was just like a really quick gloss over of race in America. You could do a whole season, you could do a whole podcast on just race in America in the past year, past two years. Um, but we just wanted to start, like we said, start the conversation, get this out there and, uh, you know, this is also part of the win today mentality. Like, just because you're, maybe you are in a majority space and you are the minority in that space, doing something every day to get a little bit better. Or if you are a part of the majority in a majority space, you know, doing something every day to make it more inclusive, to make it a little bit more diverse. Or for anyone, just trying to learn a little bit about someone who's different from you. Like to me, that is a huge win today, every day. If you can connect with someone on a deeper level, someone that you walking down the street probably wouldn't have a conversation with, maybe based on their age, their race, their gender, their sexual orientation, like have those conversations just as people, because that's really it. We're all just people out here trying to secure the bag, trying to become better, trying to win today. So break down those bar barriers that other people have built up for us and have those conversations. So I think that's going to be my joint win for today, uh, for us and for the community of win today and secure the bag. Like, go out there and build those connections. Get to know someone different from you. That's my challenge, and that's our joint win for the day. That's a, that's a solid joint win, 
And, you know, I, I always got to ask you, Jordan, like, how'd you get better today? How did I get better today? Uh, I actually haven't accomplished my win today yet for the day. But as soon as we, uh, as soon as we wrap this conversation up, I'm about to go look at a few open houses in the Philadelphia area. Um, me and my girl are trying to buy a house this summer. When I say trying, I'm going to take that word out. We are buying a house this summer. Um, so I'm going to go do some work on that, trying to find the right spot so we can make the right decision. And like I said, 2019 is a big year, big, big year, the best oh shit year yet. So finding that right house, that home, um, that's going to be the biggest part for us for 2019. A little bit of generational wealth through real estate there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, don't give it away too too early you know we're uh we're getting there you know i gotta I got leave some teasers man if you don't tease them they don't know there you go back. i appreciate it i appreciate it other people do too so will you know same question to you what's your win today you know i'm, I'm gonna break it down to like just some of the fundamental things that you need in life i got i got eight hours of sleep last night that that's that's my how i got better today um today was marked the end of a long week 60 hours working um, has some things that need to wow. wrap up. Grinding. Yeah, yeah. It was it was a grind week. So, you know, being able to sit down, get through it, and get some solid sleep. Make sure you don't get any uh, bags under your eyes because, you know, you don't want that black to crack on you. Those are not the bags you want to secure. No, no. Those, those are bags that should remain unsecured at all times. <laughs> um, all times. You know, get, getting that solid eight hours and feeling rejected. How do you feel after that eight hours? Um, I woke up. And I felt like I was on another planet, so I had to, like, lay down and try again. <laughs> but then I felt good. <laughs> Woke up on the right planet, right side of the bed. Yeah. Feeling good. I was like, what is this? That's I was like, amazing. I'm up too early. What, what's happening? Because, you know, my, your body's programmed to just wake up at the same time. So being up at 5 a.m., you're just like, uh, I don't have to go anywhere. I need to go back to sleep. I have nothing to do. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. You got to take care of yourself, man. Especially after that long work week, 60 hours, that's no joke. So I'm glad you were able to go ahead and uh, rest up so we can have this great conversation, share it with the listeners. Uh, Will, just give me two of your takeaways from today. Oh, man. Um, definitely shout out to all the allies out there. Those are you know, approaching these conversations in the most positive ways. And then also shout out to those that are uplifting and holding your, your friends up and holding them accountable. You know, we're not here to, you know, push anybody away and we don't want to, you know, attack anyone's self-esteem. Always be uplifting if possible. So shout out to if you're one of those people keeping everyone's spirits and motivations high. I'm going to I'm going to kind of piggyback off that one. Um, when you're having these conversations about, you know, differences, no matter what the difference is based on, just come from a positive intent. You know, assume positive intent is something that's going, it's like a buzzword in the workplace right now. Uh, palms up is another thing, be accepting. But it makes a huge difference when you're having these conversations. If you enter in from a hostile or defensive uh, mindset, it's not going to move the conversation forward. You're going to get gridlocked. You're going to, probably some things are going to be said that uh, that are going to be regretted. And that, that relationship, that bond is going to be broken. Whereas you can have a very similar conversation just coming from the right mindset and the right energy with it. And you can actually start to have uh, the conversation move forward in the right direction. 
So that's my first takeaway. And my second one, we all here at Secure the Bag, we talk about how much hip hop really does have an influence, um, hip hop and music in general. So listeners, go listen to Jay-Z's story of OJ and anything by Jay-Z really. And also go listen to Nina Simone. If you haven't heard Nina Simone, I'm gonna tell you, man, it will change your attitude on a lot of things. She talks about so many different things and she did it at a time where it wasn't really accepted or expected. And I think that's why her name has kind of been lost in the history books along, uh, alongside of some other musicians. But dig her up, listener. She's on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube. Go find a record. Go get a little record player, get her vinyls. Go enjoy some Nina Simone because <laughs> she is great. She's the greatest, the priestess of soul. All right, Will, go ahead and close it out. All right, thank you to the listeners if you liked it. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. We forgot. We forgot a little something. Oh, the shout outs. We didn't do our special shout outs. Well, you want me to go first? You want to go first? I'm going to let you go first. I'm going to let you go first. All right, I got mine. I got my mind today. My special shout out, my winner of the week, our Secure the Bag first ever winner of the week. Uh, you know, Junior Moyo, my coworker at the Philadelphia 76ers, won an amazing, incredible, unmatchable award at the NBA League meetings a couple weeks back. Um, you know, Junior, is, he, he wasn't born in America. He came here. Um, had to learn the language, learn the customs, learn the lifestyle of an American. And the Spirit of the Game Award, which he won, is really the highest, most prestigious award that the NBA gives out every year. Each team, all 30 teams in the NBA, get to nominate one person. So just the fact that he was nominated by the Sixers is an accomplishment in and of itself. But the fact that the NBA then took him from all the 30 applicants from across the entire NBA, and he won that award... Man, that is crazy. His story is posted on the Secure the Bag podcast, uh, STB podcast, Instagram. Go check that out. Um, if you know Junior, reach out to him. Give him congratulations that he deserves. Uh, yeah, so first ever winner of the week. We will have that coming up every week. So submit your wins and everybody keep winning. Hashtag win today. Secure the bag. Will, let's hear yours. So I'm, I'm actually going to... Um... Give my special shout out to a celebrity from the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area, the DMV, uh, Kevin Durant. He opened up his Durant okay. Center in Seat Pleasant, Maryland this week. Um, and, you know, it's designed to elevate underprivileged youth and give them opportunities within the area. Um, so he's built basketball courts in the area. I think there's four or five Kevin Durant basketball courts that have been built or refurbished within the past few years. Um, and he essentially has this foundation with a 10-year, $10 million um, wow. commitment. Wow. So the Durant Center is one part of that commitment. So, you know, kicking that off in this first month of New Year, shout out to you, Kevin. All right. That's awesome. All right, that's it. Go ahead and wrap it up. Well, you know, finally, we'll run this back. A thank you to the listeners. You know, this is your special shout out. If you liked it, hated it, plan to listen again, or vow to do anything in your power to never hear our voices again, let us know by leaving a comment wherever you get your podcast, or send us an email at secureyourbagpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from anyone that sits and listens to us. 
Now, I think we're going to end it out. We hit you with some Jay-Z. And he came up with Middle Child earlier this week. So, we want to give you a little bit of J. Cole's take on what it means to be a black man in today's America. So, with that, it's J. Cole, Folding Clothes. Niggas from the hood is the best actors. We the ones that gotta wear our face backwards. Put your frown on before they think you so. Never smile longer, take your defense off. Acting tough so much we start to feel hard. Live from the city where they pull cars. I got a Glock 40 and a Lil 9. Ready for the day a nigga pull mine. Niggas from the hood is the best actors. Gotta learn to speak in ways that's unnatural. Just to make it through the job interviews. If my niggas hurt me, they say, damn, what's gotten into you? Just trying to make it, dog, somehow. Peeking through the blinds, I see the sun now. I see it still sleeping and it feels like maybe everything is gonna be alright.